it's good. I mean, I, I think a lot of good's going to come out of this at the end. I really do. It's just get, getting through it and um, making sure we, we make the most of it. So. Hey, everybody. Todd Conklin, Pre-Accident Podcast. It is time once again for the pod. We're on the pod here. It's pod time. And you're going to like today. Uh, today's fun. Uh, well, fun is fun the right word? Yeah, it's fun because you're going to talk to Dr. Stephen Jones, who's great. I mean, he's, he's personality and credentials and qualifications and intellect. He's got everything. I mean, he's the full package, right? If he brought donuts, he'd be perfect. In fact, I'd have him never leave. But it's not a fun talk. We're going to talk about the world, and we're going to talk about really healthcare and COVID-19 response and industry and COVID-19 response and safety and capacity and resilience and robustness and all the things we talk about. But Dr. Jones is going to talk about it in a way that I think is, uh, it's, he just brings a, 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 a reality to the conversation that it would be hard to replicate outside of the world. So if you're in the medical profession, this one's clearly for you. If you're in the safety profession, this is absolutely for you. If you're a pilot, uh, you're going to find this. It's It really plays across all the stovepipes, except it, we don't call them stovepipes. We call them cylinders of excellence. It plays across all the cylinders of excellence. And it's a, it's a really healthy conversation. Not depressing. It, the, the ability for workers to adaptively create solutions in the midst of a crisis is not depressing. It's miraculous and worth watching. And it's happened in your organization as well. I mean, we all have these stories. And if you haven't gone out to find these stories, shame on you. You probably should because that's completely worth doing. As for me, well, what should I tell you? I took a long journey in the, the Tesla that I'm driving for the experience. Maybe I'm trying to get to keep it. I'm seeing if it'll work. So put your peer pressure on. We'll see if it happens. Uh, Really enjoyed it. You drive differently. You drive really from charger to charger, which I think, I mean, if you push me, you probably drive from gas station to gas station ultimately, right? I mean, that's what we do. But it was was very interesting to be in a car that's that uh, sexy. Can I use the word sexy? That's that uh, admirable that people are sort of jealous of. And then there's this kind of community of people when you charge where you instantly know all the other people that are charging and they ask you all sorts of hard questions of which I didn't have many answers, but that's part of it. How are you doing? It's, it's odd because we're in the midst of this. uh, I I don't know about the rest of you guys globally, but in the United States, we're in the midst, midst of what I would call risk fatigue which is very different than risk homeostasis. In fact, I, I think I, I did a podcast. I think I talked about this before, but where people are just at the end of their, their rope, they've, just, they've chronically responded to risk for a long, long time. And so I noticed today on the bike trails, and the bike trails in Santa Fe are pretty interesting. Um, you could pretty much guess you'd see about 100% use of mask on the bike trails. But this week, I've noticed there's been a little, a, a little, a little, uh, what would Sydney Decker call it? Uh, drift 
drift into failure, I believe is what he called a little backsliding on the mask. And I noticed today that only about a 50%, about half of the people had masks on. And, uh, and I think it's all a function of, well, a lot of things. I mean, the, the, certainly the mask has become politicized. Uh, the, the virus is, everything's politicized in the United States right now. There's no question about that. But also I think it has to do with the fact that it's, it's a vi- it's invisible. So it's hard. It's like radiation. This is the whole time this has been going on. I've thought about the background I have in radiation and radiation protection. It, it's an invisible thing that you can't see that has the potential to have high consequence. And so getting people to sort of accept that risk and understand it is bigger than looking at the side of a building and talking about fall protection. And, and that part of the game has been interesting, but I do think people are just ultimately at a level kind of fatigued. They're just, it's, they're just tired of it. And we'll have to think about what that means to us because it, it clearly means something and it clearly means that we're going to have to be aware of uh, how we manage this. But for us, I think it's also a really interesting opportunity to learn because this is a whole new way to think about it. So that's the story from my side. This is Stephen Jones and he's at Yale New Haven Healthcare System and he's the medical director of safety. And he has been interested in safety for a long time and really is quite remarkable in how he thinks about safety in his world, which is different than many of the rest of us. And it's, it's, you'll like this. He, he thinks about it a lot and he's done a ton of stuff. I mean, his background is, is super impressive, but let's think about this from a person who who's been in the heat of it, been in the midst of the essential worker cycle, dealing with risk and probably also dealing with risk fatigue, this chronic risk syndrome that we're seeing. And that I think is about as good of an introduction. I could go on a really long time, but it seems like I shouldn't. Let's go into the podcast and see what you think about the conversation we have. This is Dr. Stephen Jones. What do you see that's, Potentially good. What do you what do you see on the horizon? Well, I hope it's a wake up call. I, I mean, I've been preaching this for forever in terms of uh, preparedness. You know, for you know, I've worked a lot with office emergency preparedness going back even to the um, original pandemic thing we had back in two thousand nine, two thousand ten, and just you know one of many voices saying we're not we're not prepared for this thing, and when it hits, we don't, don't have the capacity to to flex up to it and, and make sure we have adequate uh, response so um you know and it, it died down quickly and I, I don't know if you know that i had testified before the homeland security commission back in 2009 on pandemic planning in conjunction with yale and the office of emergency preparedness wow. and i remember saying to them you know when, when I, and i went back and read my testimony todd and uh it was a little haunting because it was kind of what we're seeing right now but when i read it i was like even less um less fearful of how bad things could possibly get. I mean, I was kind of subdued in that and um, it was worse, but uh, this never, you know, this, this shouldn't have happened in terms of being prepared, but hopefully, you know, this is going to help us remember that we, we need to keep thinking ahead and not just be reacting to everything. Typical healthcare. I mean, you know, everything, everything's uh, just in time and reactive. 
Yeah, I, I think the the ability to to understand our systems are fragile is an important lesson. What scares me is, do we have the ability to learn from it? I mean, do you do you see this as? Are you seeing changes now? It's too soon to say, Todd. It really is. I'm seeing change because it's necessary at this moment. But that's the whole point. You know, when we had the last crisis, everyone was fired up. It's like the sore tooth, right? You know, you, you think about calling a dentist when you, when you have a sore tooth. Now, if the sore tooth goes away on its own, you stop thinking about it. <clears throat> so it's just one of those things that, you know, I, I hope that the, the you know, the there's a lingering um you know, effect of this that people just don't stop dropping their guard down, and to some degree, we're in a. Are we are we taping now? By the way, was this? Uh... Oh, um, I have it on, but I mean, we can we can take. No, it no, off. I don't care. I just I didn't know where we were in this. I don't know if we were just like chatting or what. That's which is fine. But, um, you know, we went at the peak here in you know Yellow Haven Healthcare System. We have about I don't know. We have seven major hospitals across the state of Connecticut and one in Rhode Island. And and at our peak, I think it was April. 21st, we had over 800 COVID patients hospitalized. All the ICUs were filled for the most part. All the respirators were taken for the most part. We had set up um, additional areas where we could house people. Honestly, we were able to really flex it up and adapt to the situation, which was to some degree this amazing and miraculous and a testimony to the quality of the team that get this thing pulled together. And today, I think the numbers for the entire system were down to maybe less than a dozen hospitalized patients. I think only two are in the ICU. I don't think anybody's on a vent, maybe one. In the whole state of Connecticut, we're down to less than 60 COVID uh, patients hospitalized. I mean, it's remarkable from where we were and where we are today. And we were, you know, we were pushing the envelope in terms of, you know, that critical, uh, the breaking point, you know, where, where you kind of, you know, break the camel's back and, we got real close to that. So it was a very scary time. For me, the scary time now is, you know, people are understandably, you know, exhaling and trying to recover and relaxing. But at the same time, we tend to, you know, loosen up our, our um, attentiveness to remembering all those important things and, and very, very marginally. But but that's my that's my my concern is that we're, we're kind of going back to feeling, well, we got this. And to some degree, we do. But to a larger degree, we don't because we're, as you know, we're under the influence of more, more uh, different perspectives of impact than just our own locality. A lot of things are happening that can uh, change that quickly in any in any locality. And that that complexity of this problem, the way everything is so interdependent, I think that really is that's been stunningly interesting to me when you think about how systems perform and fragility and brittleness and all the things we think about how much longer do you think we have how much longer yeah i mean how how much longer are we going to be in this cycle of of just chronic crisis uh, i don't know if called you know chronic i'm not sure we're in crisis right now but oh. we're, in, we're in a we're in a you know we're in a the, the virus is not going to go away and you know the the one thing that I've always said is the the one thing about pandemics is is the only predictable thing about pandemics is is their unpredictability, and no one really knows how this is going to evolve. It, you know, we got, we're going into the fall. You, you know, there's a possibility that flu may attach itself to this situation. Uh, although I'm more optimistic than I would normally be because all the um, social distancing that's going on and the mask wearing should also mitigate transmission of flu this year. 
But, um, you know, we just don't know how this is going to change. And this is a, this is a quirky um, virus and that uh, we're still discovering new things about. And um, I don't so I'm, I'm optimistic it's going to get better as we go. We're learning a lot and I'm optimistic there'll be a vaccine. I've never seen a response to um, a situation like this where so many companies were working so so aggressively to get a vaccine out. So I think that's going to happen probably sooner than later. You know, how, how effective it's going to be and how many people actually take it is also going to be interesting. But um, I, I think, you know, next year at this time, we'll, we'll probably be talking about other things uh, to me, which is great. But is also that scary part, too, is, you know, we stop thinking about this. We stop thinking about it. And uh, that's that's the concern I have. As a leader, what's it teaching you? What's that? As a leader, what is this teaching you? What are you learning new? What I'm learning is that I have to keep myself medicated more often now to deal with all this is what I'm learning. <laughs> and and how does that mean? Or what does that mean? Now, you know, I, I think we're all we're all learning, Todd. You know, this is I, I think you embrace this as many other people do. You know, I, I never claim to be an expert on anything. What I do claim to be is, is a very good student of the things I care about and I'm passionate about. And, you know, you want to keep learning. You want to keep understanding things differently. And and in my journey, and I suspect with you as well, my journey with safety, I'm I'm always uh, going to a place where I'm like, well, I didn't think that was the case. Now that's that's makes it's more sensible now. It's there's better clarity. And I never get comfortable being comfortable with with where I think I am. You know, you, you think you have the answers. You're you know that you're probably in a bad place. It's always that questioning. What what do I need to know next? And that's true for me, too. I mean, I, I was, you know, I consider myself pretty savvy on this whole pandemic preparation. And, and man, I've learned a lot about this as well. But the whole point of this for me is, again, that you talk about this capacity, the ability for us to to um, be in a situation where we can flex up and adapt to a stressor. Um, and, I, I, you know, I get a little frustrated when people say, well, this, we didn't see this coming. And we did. You know, this. You know, Nassim Taleb talks about the the black swan. This isn't a black swan. We all knew this was coming. It, it's you know the it's turning a blind eye to the inevitable, and the fact that this is an infrequent event. We've had, I guess, three pandemics in the last century, um, and the last one was pretty mild. The, the more severe one was back in 1918. So you know, it's it's making sure that we don't turn a blind eye to this and we don't turn a deaf ear, a deaf ear and we're, we're paying attention to this and we really are in a situation where we can address this in a, in a more meaningful way. So here's a good thing that came out of it. The amount of ingenuity and adaption that came out of uh, situations where, where staff were really and leadership were really able to figure this out in a quick fashion and get us up and running was stunning to me. And, you know, it's a credit to and I can only speak for the Yale New Haven healthcare system, but I, I know other healthcare systems have done as well. New York City got crucified on, on this, but it was stunning to see the the ability to to really um, come up to to play in this game, and you know the the high level of resilience, which is really what you need to be in a situation like that. But where you got close, in my opinion, we got close to a breaking point, and that's the scary part. And um, you know we don't know where it's going to go in the future, but. So for me, the, the learning I have is that resilience is, is almost everything. But that resilience, it seems interesting in that it's not really an organizational capacity. It's really individual workers, individual healthcare providers being resilient at the time of need. They sort of stepped up to resilience 
and created solutions where solutions didn't exist. Did you notice? Exactly. Did you notice? Did did things go away? Did they did they stop following stupid rules? Did administrative and bureaucratic controls fade to the background? I mean, there there had to have been some give and take there for them to be that uh, that agile. They had to be creative, and the organization had to allow the agility to happen. And that relationship's really interesting to me. Yeah, well, it's interesting that crisis always seems to give us the ability to bend the rules or disregard rules at times, which which become more often um, a handicap than than a help. And and I'm not a big fan of rules overall in healthcare, except to the point where they can help facilitate getting us to a safer place. And um, rigid rules and red rules, if you know what the red rules are, which are rules that we can never break, are just something that uh, we, we really can't adapt to. Listen, back in uh, the time we had Hurricane Sandy or Superstorm Sandy come up the East Coast, you know, NYU Lagone <clears throat> got hammered pretty badly. They they had done tremendous work in preparation. I think they had about 530 patients in-house before the storm hit. They were able to move out about um, two or 300. I think they were down 200-plus patients which I felt were too ill to move. And when the storm came up, they were well prepared. They had uh, generators in the basement. They had generators on one of the, I think on the fourth floor. They had some redundancy. It got overwhelmed. Uh, The hospital went completely black. And they had to move all those patients out of the hospital um, to other hospitals. Many of them went to Memorial Sloan Kettering. But uh, I remember debriefing with the uh, leadership over in in, uh, New York Lagoon. And they said they broke a thousands of rules that night and they said they had to because there was no other situation that could allow them to move those patients safely it was just a situation where you had to adapt to it and i did see organizational adaption i saw the leadership adapt to the situation that was outside the scope of what we would normally do and you saw frontline people adapting as well so it was it was it was organizational and individual and, and we both know this i mean you know what really keeps it, the world running and, and keeps things safer for us is not necessarily always following the rules, but people adapting to the situations in the context of the moment. Have you done your after action reviews now on, on what happened or is it too early? Probably too early. I mean, we, we're dealing with a lot of things right now and there's a lot of stuff going on. So I'm sure that's going to happen, but uh, we've, we've got a lot of work to do and we're still, we're still trying to uh, make sure we're, we're managing this well. You know, I'll share an interesting thing that came out of learning. One of the things we discovered uh, with this virus, not we, but but what was discovered along the journey was that patients who were severely ill respiratory-wise, and um, a good number of them were older people and and a high level of of weight and diabetes, but they were the ones who were more compromised. And we found that when we turned the patients over on their stomach, most patients are laying in bed on their back, when we turned them over on their stomach and proned them, um, they did better. Challenge was when you're dealing with people who are sick and not always responsive and they're sometimes intubated or on a respirator, turning those people over is not easy for all sorts of logistical reasons. And we had to get a team of people. We actually had proning teams uh, come and they developed them and trained them to do this in an effective way. And that was something that was a new adaption. We had not done that before. And it made a difference. I mean, we did see good outcomes with that. Um, and that was a learning learning mechanism as well for us, and that was not in place earlier. So, you know, there's a lot of things that we haven't even discovered yet. When we go back and analyze the data points and, and understand this better, I think we're going to really uh, be in a better position. But um, it was it was eye opening and encouraging to see that um, ability to adapt to situations on on both the front line and and within the organization. 
What what advice do you have from your world that you can apply to industry as a whole or, or companies, organizations in the country? What do you, what do you think of now? What I think is now is this kind of taking what I've always thought to another level, which is we've, we've got to do a better job in, in continuously learning, not thinking we have the answers, and in shared learning. Healthcare, for all its uh, qualities, is burdened with not only a high level of complexity beyond what other you know high-risk, high-consequence organizations usually, usually have to deal with, but we're not very good about sharing learning. Um, things that are fixed in one system generally don't get communicated to another system. And, and I think a lot of the other industries, you know, nuclear power, aviation have learned that to be really safe, you've got to not only learn, but you've got to share that learning and you've got to make sure that we're monitoring it and auditing it. And healthcare is not real good in that. And, you know, I, I have conversations with some of the healthcare, healthcare systems like Hopkins and, and Cleveland Clinic and it's always helpful for us to be sharing, you know, the stuff we've learned and to get out of our own way to some degree in terms of thinking we have the answers when maybe we do and maybe we don't. And I think that is the key thing is that we've got to be more transparent. And again, healthcare for all sorts of reasons tends to be less transparent for fear of, um, you know, litigation or for fear of looking like you're not at the top of the game, but but we have to be really transparent and, and make sure that we can talk to our, our successes and and to our challenges. So It's interesting to hear you talk about uh, humility or not knowing. I mean, it, it's the power of not knowing is really valuable because it allows you to sort of think beyond the scope. But the fact that this was predictable, this was what what's Talib call it? He doesn't call it a black swan. He calls it a wide tail event, a, a broad tail event. I believe is the word he uses. The fact that this was completely predictable and we sort of just responded to it poorly is is very interesting to me at every level. But I think the fact that we humbly understand that we don't know gives us permission to go back and and really look at the process better or differently for sure. Yeah, without a doubt. And, and you know, if you go by the definition of a black swan, this was definitely not such an event. Um, so, you know, I'm, I get a little annoyed when I hear people say we didn't see this coming. And we did. Um, and, you know, I, I, when I was back in 2009, 2010, I, I will tell you that, you know, some of the leading virologists um, and even Fauci, who I had a conversation with about this, were like terrified at that point of how how scary and how scary this can be. And, I, you know, people never appreciate the impact that this can have. And the two scariest times I've had in my career in terms of um, other colleagues being in a place where we're like, this is this can be really bad for us was back then when we were like on the verge of having what we thought could be a very, very bad uh, pandemic. And right after um, September 11th. And there was a real fear of a smallpox um, attack. And it's kind of the same thing with smallpox. You know, since no one in the world has seen smallpox exposure for, you know, I guess now coming up on 50 years, if that got out, that could be just, you know, just devastating beyond belief for, for the planet. So, you know, this this is the kind of stuff that we've, we've got to be on God for. But, you know, it's I think Fauci said it to me is like people don't realize um, the seriousness until it's upon them. And and I think we've learned that lesson and we, we've got to stop learning the hard way. And that's the thing about risk, I think. Right. Risk becomes really apparent when it's there 
capacity is expensive and painful if you don't need it. And it's really expensive, expensive and really painful if you do need it. And, and we've sort of seen both sides of that equation. Yeah, well, you know, but capacity doesn't always mean, um, you know, expenditures and stockpiling. Capacity means ability to to be in a situation where your where your organization logistically and uh, analytically can 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 flex up and adapt to the situation, and being prepared for that as opposed to doing it on the spur of the moment, which is is fine and it works out sometimes that way. But but uh, you know, it's it's education around preparing for this. Um, not just by again stockpiling and saying we need more respirators, and we, that's all true. But but the understanding that sometimes we got to bend those rules, we got to modify expectations and, and change uh, priorities, and that's a difficult thing to do in, in complex organizations that you know have their their margins and they have their goals and uh, are and are literally living by you know very slim operating margins you know the the last job i'd want to be right now is is some of these you know healthcare executives you know it, this is a really challenging world to be you know juggling all these things that are going on in terms of cost priorities uh service excellence quality of care it it is it is a real challenge and um you know safety isn't always first as you know but uh we we have to balance it Wow, that's remarkable. Uh, the whole idea that there's there's cultural capacity, there's psychological capacity, there's operational capacity, there's logistical capacity, and there's this organizational capacity. It's really, it's, it's many forms of capacity. And what I'm learning from you today is that having this space intellectually to think beyond what we traditionally think about seemed to be really an important thing for you guys. Yeah, it is on many levels, Todd. I mean, and again, this won't be news to you and probably a lot of the people who are listening here. But you know, this this uh, mentality of being reactive as be as opposed to being proactive to to waiting for events to um, you know waiting for the signal to reach us before we address it, as opposed to trying to identify the signal ahead of time, is is not going to work. We're we're always in this uh, just in time environment, responding to events. Going back and trying to figure it out in, in, a, in a very inadequate manner, in my opinion. You know, we're, we're, we're taking these very complicated events and reviewing them in a, in a retrospective manner with 2020 hindsight and in a linear time frame, and it just doesn't work. And uh, you know, I've, I've I've become less and less of a fan of root cause analysis, which is a is a kind of the standard of how we 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 treat safety in healthcare. Um, because as you know, it's you know you're looking at um, a single event, and you know it's it's you know the expression you can't see the forest for the trees. Root cause analysis is you can't see the forest for the tree, and and sometimes you just get so locked into always trying to go back and put our resources into trying to figure out what happened, which is important, but we put very little effort into um, looking ahead and saying where are we working, what's what's going right in our organizations. And and where are the possibilities and the vulnerabilities for us that we can you know address and and modify and adapt to? And it's a very different way of thinking. And and God knows I don't have all the answers, but but I do know we need a different direction. And I do know that people in healthcare are trying their very very best, and we're all over the place. But um, you know we need to align our thinking, and we need to think um, in a more forward manner than than we have been in the past. Do you see? It's not easy for healthcare. Do you see it changing? I do see it changing. I do, but it's 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 difficult. And again, the the fact that we operate um, 
So, you know, healthcare, unlike, you know, those other areas, you know, aviation, you know, we, we have so many different oversights uh, agencies. We have so many different systems within within our complicated systems. You know, we have you look at just even respirators, the difference in respirators, the difference in pumps. You know, there's no there's no um, organizational process for for standardizing things to to the to a better level where, you know, you could be a nurse on one floor and go to the next floor and you're using a different type of equipment and you're just making it you know more challenging for the, for those workers to get through their days and and that may be a you know the necessity of of what we how we have to operate but we have to be able to address the fact that we operate that way and and allow for it and and there's the challenge and uh, i don't think there's going to ever be an easy answer but you know we do need to get away from the philosophy of of expecting perfection we've got to get away from the philosophy of saying it's an individual worker who's failing and, and listen you and i both know this when something happens uh, at least for me, the first thing I say is, you know, detach the person from the equation that you're looking at um, that's involved and look at the, the situation because this is um, usually not a people problem. This is a system problem. Oh, my heart feels relieved. Any podcast that starts with it's not a people problem, it's a system problem, or stops with it's not a people problem, it's a system problem. Is a pretty good podcast. We it was probably worth our time. That's for sure. Thank you, Doctor Jones. I uh, I know we've been trying to have this conversation a while. I'm glad we got it done. I'm sorry about why we had it, but there couldn't have been a better time to talk to you. And your message, I don't know about you guys, but it resonated with me at a bunch of levels. It's it's a it's a crazy world. It, this is the world we have. I don't I don't know what to say other than it's this is what we have. And we have to become successful and and build a world where this can happen. And I'm pleased to be a part of this conversation with Stephen Jones. Um, I'm proud of him. He rode the moped in public. You know what I mean? That's kind of what it's like being on the podcast. That's what I think about anyway. So that's the story. I'll see you somewhere on uh, my e-bike. That's... Uh, that's a pretty good bet. If you ride around Santa Fe, look for me. It's it's kind of reddish orange. You'll see me, though. I, I think I look pretty interesting. Somebody told me I look like a blob on top of it. I think it was a, a, a dig, but I took it as a compliment because why wouldn't you? That's, that's what I say. So that's the pod. Thanks for being here. Learn something new every single day. I bet you did today. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to each other. That seems vital and rather important at this moment. And most importantly, be safe.